This week on Not Sam Wrestling, huge announcement. We are coming to Phoenix. We've got Jay Lethal on the podcast. We've got so much to break down. TLC, final battle, a shakeup, all in the state of wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh my god, what a week it's been, what a week, what a week, and it only continues. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling and happy holidays. Happy holidays from all of us here at Not Sam Wrestling. Everybody that's ever been on the show, we wish you happy holidays, Merry Christmas if that's what you celebrate, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, whatever. Even if you don't celebrate a holiday at all, happy this time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, after all. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. And uh, you know what makes it wonderful? Big announcement. Why wait? Had a very busy weekend. I'll get into it. We'll talk about the guest we've got on this week. We'll talk about what we're going to talk about in the state of wrestling. But first, I teased it. Here's the big news. Phoenix, we are coming your way. Phoenix, Arizona, the site of this year's Royal Rumble and the site of the first live Not Sam Wrestling podcast of 2019. That's right, 2018's not done yet, and we're already planning 2019. If you would like to be a part of a live Not Sam Wrestling podcast in Phoenix, Arizona, if you're going to the Royal Rumble and you're looking for something to do on Friday night, January 25th, spend it with me. I'm going to put together an amazing show at Copper Blues Live. Yes, Copper Blues live in Phoenix, Arizona on January 25th, 7.30 p.m. I will be there. I My guests will be there. Not Sam Wrestling is coming live to Phoenix, Arizona, Royal Rumble Week, Friday, January 25th, and you can be a part of it. All you have to do is go to cblive.com, cblive.com, and you can be a part of the first Not Sam Wrestling live show of 2019. It's going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. This is something I want to do more of, and I'm only going to be able to do more of it if all of you guys show up for it. So be there or be square. Phoenix, Arizona, Royal Rumble weekend. It's going to be fun. Saturday night is going to be TakeOver. Sunday night is going to be the Royal Rumble. Now you've got something to do on Friday night. Make your travel plans so that you're there. January the 25th. 2019, Friday night, Not Sam Wrestling, live at CB Live in Phoenix, Arizona, cblive.com for tickets. Of course, I will plug this on my social media, Not Sam and Not Sam Wrestling on Instagram, notsam.com. It will be everywhere, but the first place you're going to be able to get tickets is cblive.com. So get those tickets now. Uh, I'm planning on having uh, superstars from the world of wrestling. I'm planning on having comedians. It's going to be an amazing night and a night that you're only going to be able to experience in its entirety if you are there. If you're going to Phoenix for the Royal Rumble, make sure that you're there. And if you were on the fence about whether or not you were going to go to Phoenix for the Royal Rumble, now you can't pass it up. What a weekend it's going to be starting Friday, January 25th. Not Sam Wrestling live comes to Phoenix, Arizona, cblive.com, cblive.com for tickets. Get them now, get them fast, get them often. Thank you for downloading or streaming or listening to another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. 
Uh, it's been a busy weekend. Friday night, I mean Sunday night. Of course, I was in San Jose, California for TLC. I was on the kickoff show alongside Jonathan Coachman, David Otunga, who, by the way, David Otunga, he always does well on the kickoff shows, obviously, but he crushed it on SmackDown this week on the commentary booth. I thought David Otunga was great. Uh, and, of course, the uh, incomparable Booker T was there as well uh, on the kickoff show panel. I was also on uh, Thursday or on Friday, I was on the Heated Conversations podcast with Booker T. Also on Friday, I was at the Hammerstein Ballroom for Ring of Honor Final Battle. Uh, I actually ended up watching the show at home. It was, look, Ring of Honor's in-ring is amazing. Sometimes when you go down there to do interviews, it's a little more difficult than it is in other places just because, you know, it is what it is sometimes. But, I was invited, I was graciously invited by Ring of Honor to go down and talk to uh, one of the superstars there, and I was so happy uh, that it was Jay Lethal. Regardless of how difficult it was to actually get into the building and do the interview, and by the way, the difficulties had nothing to do with the Ring of Honor champion himself, it was all worth it. Jay Lethal, my guest this week. Oh, and before I get to Jay Lethal, um, I also had a great experience this week uh, there's a store called the Wrestling Universe in Queens. Uh, and I went in to get a Christmas present for somebody. You know, I just wanted to get kind of a novelty wrestling present. And this store, the Wrestling Universe, which you can, you, the wrestlinguniverse.com is, I believe, the website, the wrestlinguniverse.com. But they have all kinds of figures. They have, you know, old VHS tapes and cardboard cutouts. They have stuff from every era imaginable. It's really an amazing store and one of the few brick and mortar wrestling stores left. But I went in. And they had Hasbro's. So I obviously I went in to get gifts for somebody else and ended up getting a little something for somebody else and a lot of something for me. So I just wanted to give you that recommendation. Uh, if you've got the chance, if you want to do some holiday shopping, want to get a wrestling fan something unique, uh, the Wrestling Universe is absolutely my spot in Queens, New York. You can go to the wrestlinguniverse.com. They do signings. They have like wrestlers there all the time too. It's uh, It's an amazing store. It's like paradise for a wrestling fan. So check it out. I think uh, the Major Brothers and their um, fabulous, fabulous whatever podcast, uh, they did their YouTube show from there at some point, I think. So check it out if you're in Queens, New York. It's really a great store. Jay Lethal and I go back quite a ways. Uh, in the, I don't know, in the probably the later half of the first decade of the 2000s, uh, I did a bunch of stuff with Jersey All Pro Wrestling. The first time I ever did uh, commentary for for a wrestling organization, it was Jersey All Pro Wrestling. I would go every month. They would run shows in Rawway, New Jersey at the Rawway Rec Center and in Jersey City. I think they'd go every other month at each venue. And I would go and, uh, and I would do the play-by-play for these shows. It's where I saw Kenny Omega for the first time. It's where I saw uh, a lot of guys for the first time. Brody Lee, who went on to be Luke Harper. Claudio Castagnoli who went on to be Cesaro. I mean, just to name a few. There was a Chris Hero was there, uh, who went on to be Cassius Ono. Tons of guys came through there. Uh, and one of the guys was Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal uh, was was a, a, a favorite. Bandito, who is now a referee in NXT. Big time. The original Bandito Jr., not the one that's uh, wrestling now. He was in Jersey All-Pro. Look him up. Um, but Jay Lethal 
was he was a former Jersey All Pro champ. But that's where you know I ended up uh, becoming super familiar with his work and actually doing bad commentary because I was horrible for a lot of his matches. Um, little did I, well, I mean, I guess not little did I know, but to nobody's surprise, I should say, he's gone on to shake the core and the foundation of the pro wrestling world. This is a guy who, even before I met him, was doing amazing things. He was in Ring of Honor uh, early in his career. Uh, Of course, did a lot on the indies, went over to TNA, changed his entire career with his run as Black Machismo, and then came out of it to reinvent himself once again, reestablish himself as Jay Lethal through the House of Truth and Truth Martini in Ring of Honor, um, and has reestablished himself again, not only bringing back the Black Machismo gimmick for the uh, uh, all-in pay-per-view, but also he is the flag-bearer of Ring of Honor in a time when Ring of Honor and their future is somewhat in question. In a time when Ring of Honor's, a lot of the attention for Ring of Honor is actually put on the elite. It's Jay Lethal who's there to remind people of the amazing talent that is currently uh, 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 wrestling in Ring of Honor beyond the elite. That's what Jay Lethal is doing. Jay Lethal is ensuring that Ring of Honor not only have a present, but have a future. Uh, I sat down in the Hammerstein Ballroom only a couple of hours before his match on pay-per-view over the weekend with Cody Rhodes, and I talked to Jay Lethal about a lot of things. We talked about his journey leading up to where he is right now in Ring of Honor. We talked about what it means for him to be in the position that he's in with Ring of Honor. We talked about Black Machismo and how that all came about. Uh, Some of the stuff that he did on the indies that some of you guys might not know about. Getting to Ring of Honor early in his career. So much stuff. You listen to this interview, and I feel like this is happening a lot. You know, we got a a great perspective of Ron Funches last week. The week before that, Finn Balor. You listen to this interview, and if you don't already love Jay Lethal, you're going to fall in love with this guy. Any wrestling fan is going to sit there, listen to this interview, And I promise you, you will become a fan of Jay Lethal if you aren't already. Here he is, this week on Not Sam Wrestling, my guest, Jay Lethal. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. We are backstage at the Hammerstein Ballroom with a man who I was thinking about it today. I can't believe it's taken this long to be on the podcast. Like like this is, especially you, of all people, it's mind-blowing that you have not been on the podcast well, yet. Well, whose fault is that? Mine. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm going to ask him why he hasn't done the podcast. And I was like, well, the appropriate response is, invite me to. Right, right, <laughs> right? Right, right. Ladies and gentlemen, Jay Lethal is here. Thank you. What's going on, man? What's the haps? Oh, I'm just trying to stay warm. Um, yeah. Like I mentioned to you before we started rolling, I am a Tampa guy. Although I was born in New Jersey, so you'd think I'd be used to it. But something about living in Florida does something. It, it must have thinned my blood or <laughs> it tra- changed me somehow. And now the soon as soon as it gets cold, I'm, I turn into a little baby. I'm like, it's freezing here. Can't we get a warmer building? <laughs> but it's actually not that cold in here. It's just outside. No, no, no. Yeah, we were literally just outside. And so for me, I'm like, this is great. This is tropical in here. <laughs> but the reason why I say, like, I can't believe of all people... You haven't been on the show is because I've known you for so long. Mm-hmm. Like you were one of the guys who, when I first started doing stuff in Jersey All Pro Wrestling, you were the guy 
in Jersey All Pro Wrestling, and and you've been the guy. They're calling your name. <laughs> they're calling your name. That's not just anybody. That's Cody Rhodes. <laughs> I know it. Uh, it sounds like him. Oh, Is I, he? I think they're being told, "Hey, be quiet." Well, either that, or he just doesn't have the guts to interrupt an interview you, that's you as serious know. as this. You no, know. you don't. But um, the the question was right when you're. All that—that that was probably what over ten years ago, twelve years ago, maybe at least fifth, maybe fifteen, Man. Four, thirteen, yeah. fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, I've been because now I'm thirty-three, uh-huh. and I started in two thousand one, so I'm pretty much been wrestling more than half my life now. It's amazing because you start so young mm-hmm. that at thirty-three you're like a grizzled vet. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Like, I, I don't think I'm grizzled. <laughs> and but, I, I definitely don't like to think of myself as a vet either. I, I like a lot of guys are like, whenever I do interviews, they're like, oh, "How do you feel about being like the vet in the locker room or the leader of the locker room?" I don't like to think of myself like that. I don't like to think of myself as the leader of anything, especially since here at Ring of Honor, uh, everybody who goes out through that curtain, they all got one main goal in mind in the front. There's, there's another goal in there is to get over. But, <laughs> but the main goal in the front of their minds of, for all of us is to make Ring of Honor as big as we possibly can with our actions while we're out there. We want to put on a great match for the company. Um, so to me, that kind of puts us all on the same level. But um, if you look at it from the other, another standpoint, I have been wrestling longer than a lot of those guys. So I guess but the years in the business doesn't make you a vet. I don't think that's what really I think I think experience does and experience meaning not just the fact that you've been around but you've done a lot. Like even when you think about your Ring of Honor career, you've had so many different runs mm-hmm. that have been significant that a lot of guys like, you know, you would think for for some people the House of Truth mm-hmm. is their run, right? That right, could have been right. your run. Right. No, no, the the funny part about that is you you mentioned, you know, I've been in Ring of Honor for a while. That first stint when I was in Ring of Honor, I was uh, a part of Special K. I don't know if you remember that. Uh-huh. Um, I had only been wrestling for about two years, okay? I legit felt like someone messed up and allowed me to be here. Think about wrestling for only two years and you're having matches with Samoa Joe (laughs) and CM Punk and Brian Danielson. I really felt like, do they not know that I have just only been wrestling for two years? (laughs) Somebody messed up. Someone made a mistake. So needless to say, I, I make a joke of it, but I really felt like I didn't belong here. I felt like I wasn't a, didn't have enough experiences. Ever. I always had to ask, what are we doing or what's next or what should I do? Um, luckily, the guys in the locker room were super friendly. Joe would always be there to help me. Yeah, do this, got to do that. Um, but I really didn't feel like I belonged here when I was a... I mean, they welcomed me, but uh, right. I was missing something, and I knew it. Right. And you, looking back on that now, were you like, yeah, I was right to feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I wish there was some kind of time machine where I could take me now and put me back take me back and put me in this because I would have knocked it out of the park, man. I just, uh, but of course it's like you go back in the, into the past with the winning lottery numbers, anybody. Will right. Be. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah that Powerball really was a hundred million. Like I wish I had a time. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, I felt like I did not belong there and looking back on it now, knowing what I knew, what, knowing what I know now, I definitely had no business <laughs> in ring of honor, but I'm just, I'm glad I was there. Um, back then I'm glad the guys just treated me so, I mean, 
I don't have a single bad thing to say about anybody that was on the roster at that time. And Samoa Joe really, he's the number one person. He really looked after me. Um, a lot of people think it was just the gimmick or the storyline angle where I had was like his young boy and I came to the ring with him. But that was real, um, which is how it really started. Uh, Gabe was like, oh, yeah, Joe, you'll go out with Joe and blah, blah, do this. But, yeah, he really looked after me, and I would not have survived as long as I did uh, in the company if it weren't for him. Well, part of it, too, has to be, I think maybe part of the reason that you were well-liked when you were young by that group of guys is because you were self-aware enough to know, I don't think I belong here. And now knowing what you know now, you're like, I didn't. Maybe, you know, most maybe guys that aren't that self-aware that, when they're that young. That's true. Maybe if I had a different mindset, like, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't they ask me here sooner right. when I was only a year and a half in? <laughs> I should be in the main event. Yeah. You know what? You're, maybe you're definitely right. Maybe something about that thinking like that did something on the outside. I exuded this humbleness, um, which is probably how I survived. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think you're definitely, you might be on to something. I never looked at it that way. When you, I mean, because that's, I mean, that's an appealing thing to me. I like to be around people. That not only have humility, but like are are self aware. Like I don't even mind somebody with an ego if there's a reason for that. <laughs> right, right. Like right, like right. if it's real, then it's like yeah, they're right. Right, they're right. right. But right. if it if, if they're wrong, and usually they're wrong. <laughs> but when you're like when you're as young as you, whether it's your first Ring of Honor run or yeah. whether it's the days that we were talking about in Jersey All Pro. Yeah. Did you have kind of visions of what your career was going to look like and? Did it look anything like it does now? No, no. In fact, throughout my whole career, I've always been afraid to try and look too far into the future or try and guess or try and make a goal for myself because I'd be too afraid that I'm going to jinx myself. Um, could you imagine getting into the wrestling business and going, yeah, I'm going to wrestle Ric Flair someday. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. And, then, and then you do it. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm going to wrestle Kurt Angle live on pay-per-view. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, what I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, so I was deathly afraid of setting any kind of goal or looking too far into the future. I just, I liked playing it as it came. Um, one day at a time, and it, it's so far, it's worked out great for me. I, but although I really feel like my whole career can be described as someone who won the lottery. You really think so? I really do. I mean, when I think about everything that I've gotten to do, all the people that i gotten to work with, that I sat at home when I was younger with my brothers watching them on television, um, and then I got to work with them on television while my brothers watched at home. Some people, I got to do some people, some things that people only dream of in the wrestling business. I'm the face of a company known around the world for its wrestling, not only once, but twice. This is my second time. Yeah. And uh, think about getting a promotion twice. Right. Because winning the belt is like getting a promotion. It's getting that corner office that you always wanted. Um, the, the company that you work for says this guy has what it takes. Uh, it's, time to, it's time to reward him. And they reward you. And then you've got to think about this now. You did such a good job. We're going to reward you again. <laughs> do, it's like getting another promotion. Right. Ric Flair had 16, 17 <laughs> promotions. Like, uh, but it, it's really, it shows... 
Because when you're younger, winning that belt means something different. When you're just watch, watching it as a fan, it means like, oh, he's the number one guy. He's yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah. the badass. Like, I want to be like that guy. But then when you get into wrestling, you realize it's something totally different. Sure, it means you're good at your craft, but inside and outside of the ring, uh, the company might have to put trust and faith in you. Um, so it's a, it's a high honor to become a champion. So does that goal of becoming champion change in the sense that when you first start wrestling and you're going to wrestling school and blah, 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 you still have that fan mentality? Of course. I, you, I did. Right. I did, yeah. Right. And I think that that's normal where you want to be champion because you liked the champion when you were a kid and uh -huh. you want to be the man. Right. And that, that meant that you were the best. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Right, exactly. Right. So how far into it? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me. How far I don't into know. it does the goal shift where I, you're like, I, oh, man, I, wanna, I can't pinpoint exactly. Exactly when it was, but I'm sure for me it happened very quickly, especially since two years in, I felt like I didn't belong because I didn't feel like I had yeah. an experience first. So for me, you figured I, it I, out. Think it I think I figured it out pretty <laughs> quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that seems like, you know. I, I think, you know, I think I figured it out uh, when there was a student, my very first student show that I had, um, the, the promoter. I didn't get picked to have a match in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, later on, I got added. And when I didn't get picked, I think that was a little humbling experience there, right. too. Like, oh, okay, so it's, I mean, okay, this might work a little differently. <laughs> yeah. i got to figure out how to deal with <laughs> right, this right, right now. Right, right, right. So but I did get picked, and I did have a match that day. So. <laughs> but you were ready not to. I was. I yeah. was ready not to. Right? That's what, like, I think that, you know, when you people talk about, you can come back behind us. No, we are filming, filming, but we're yeah. we told them we're backstage at the Hammerstein. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Stuff happens. Yeah, they understand. <laughs> but I think people talk about they they uh, when they talk about your qualities, right? They obviously bring up everything you do in the ring and how good you are there. I think your run in TNA started to really, you know, have people click into the charisma and everything. Mm -hmm. But I think that the stuff that we're talking about right now, the your ability from the beginning or from a young age to click into what the wrestling business is mm -hmm. and to get out of that sort of fan space and into the, this is my career and I can figure out what the perspective is now. Yeah. I think that that's a step that a lot of guys either take longer to get to or sometimes don't. And, I don't think you can succeed without that right, part of it. because there's no one to hold your hand and teach you that part. That's right. got to be like a, something that happens on your own, right? right? Right. And that's what happens to those guys that instead of kind of being self-aware and sitting back and observing, they walk in with the ego like they know everything. They never learn anything, mm -hmm. right? You're right. You're so right. you were going to say something, though, when I talked about TNA being the place where people kind of clicked into your innate uh, charisma. I was going to say, I was going to say that uh, now up until the point where I got to TNA, Impact Wrestling, I would, there's no other way to explain this. Uh, I like to think that if you said, oh, what kind of wrestler is Jay Lethal? Like, what is he all about? What's his gimmick? What do you think his gimmick is? Uh, up until that point, I would have said, as a fan, mm -hmm. looking, taking myself out of the equation, just watching as a fan, I would have said, what is his gimmick? Just He's just some black kid who likes wrestling. He wants to wrestle. Like, he trained <laughs> yeah. to be a wrestler. That's it. There's nothing, you know. <laughs> it wasn't until I got to Impact Wrestling um, and got into that character, the black machismo, that's when I really started realizing. Well, I, maybe I realized it, but I never had a chance to do it, but I, there was more to wrestling. Because yeah, last um, name's Lethal. Right. It's very, very dangerous. That's right. the whole deal. What else do I need? Yeah, I mean. Right. I got the name. That's it. I'm a badass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly. But yeah, uh, I, 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 and I, I win uh, my matches. That's I, the gimmick. <laughs> I had to learn to... Uh, 
to find out how many layers there was to me. Um, that that machismo character really it like cracked the shell that I was in, opened it up, and I had no choice but to let this flower inside bloom. What a what a weird it's thing! Like I, I bloomed yeah. like a flower. You, know? you bloomed all over black machismo. <laughs> but yeah, that that really forced me to like break out of my shell and show some personality and i was just starting to master that or i felt like i was and then that character ended and then i went into the rick flair thing and then i learned about promos and man and that whole time getting to work alongside kevin nash and also samoa joe was still there who kind of always had me under his wing i was learning a lot about how to carry yourself inside the ring and outside of the ring i was learning i learned a lot from kevin nash about how to let people talk to you and how you should talk to them um depending on what position they're in so he taught me politics brother he was <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it was man what a learning that seems experience. like i mean based on the stories everybody tells kevin nash is the guy to, to, to teach a master class in wrestling <laughs> he'll, politics, he'll tell you that right right i remember the first one of the first he's the funniest guy i know uh-huh. one of the first things that he had mentioned to us as a group was he goes you know, it's cool that we're sitting around here talking and have a good time, but if this were WCW back in the day, you guys would hate my guts. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he knows and he yeah. realizes it. But, yeah, that whole I, – I can only think back and say what a dream situation, someone who had only been wrestling for about two and a half, almost three years to be in, at in, in, in Impact Wrestling for me at that time. It was the ultimate, I couldn't have paid money out of my pocket for a better learning experience, a, a better seven year learning experience um, than the one that I got. I got to learn from the best, the ins and outs of professional wrestling, um, which ultimately prepared me for my second run here in Ring of Honor where I would be the front runner, the, the, the world champion, the face of a company. Um, and I've got all the tools now that I need. It's almost like it prepared me and gave me all the tools I would need for this point in time. Um, so it's cool when I think back like, man, what a... It's like almost everything happens for a reason. Like yeah. It, this was supposed to happen. I was supposed to get all that experience in so I'd be ready for this point. And now, speaking of this point here, yeah, because I do feel like we're going into a new, not a new era, but a new phase in Ring of Honor. There's Yo, a lot yeah. of rumors about who's sticking around, yes. who's leaving. I'm not afraid to talk about that. It's yeah. just no secret anymore. They, they don't make a secret about it. But um, what a time to be the world champion going into 2019 in this moment where it feels like Ring of Honor not only is not going to have to reinvent themselves, but something we're going to have to do something special here um, because this might be like a new phase in Ring oh, of yeah. Honor. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I, when I talk about Ring of Honor, pretty much all the last year, I'm like, look, you know, Ring of Honor is on fire right now, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they have to look at what happened when WCW was on fire and the NWO was there. I'm like, you know, in my mind, you can't make this the Bullet Club show. You have to make it a promotion. Right. Now, the, the elite is there, mm-hmm. but now, it's not their show, and that's your kind of role, right, right? Right, right. Here's another thing. I don't think Ring of Honor purposely made some of the shows into the Bullet Club show. You know what I mean? Although... It did kind of seem like that on the surface for some of the shows, but I just think that those guys had so much star power and they were so quote unquote over that no matter where you put them on the show, they were going to, I hate the word, use the word usurp, um, but they were going to become the focal point of the show anyway because of how over they were. Right. So 
by default, no matter where you put them on the show, it, it's it, going to happen. Right, right, right. Especially there's so many of them, right. and they're not all in just one match. They're all spread out throughout the show. Right. So, um, so that was a tough thing to overcome for Ring of Honor. So thinking about this new phase that Ring of Honor is going into, I think some people could potentially be worried, um, but I'm not too worried, and here's why. I think the Ring of Honor has always done a great job in surviving, picking up and surviving. Can you imagine having a wrestling company with guys like Samoa Joe, CM Punk, AJ Styles, Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness? you putting on fantastic shows. Now think about, put a year in between, but think about one year after another, people leaving. How do you pick up and carry on? After you've lost an AJ Styles, how do you pick up and carry on after you lost in the same month, Nigel and Brian Danielson? Right. How do you pick up and move on after losing a Samoa Joe, a Roderick Strong, a heart and soul of Ring of Honor, losing an Adam Cole, an Austin Aries? Ring of Honor has always been able to do it. And I think the winning formula is you don't look for replacements. Because these guys are irreplaceable. You don't go out and say, who can I get to replace them? You just continue to put on the best wrestling you possibly can while looking for other great talent out there to put on, add on to your list, not fill in that gap that is now missing. <clears throat> because some of these guys have left a hole in shoes that no one can fill. Who can fill the shoes of Brian Danielson? Right. You can't. You just have to appreciate and respect and accept the fact that he did what he did for this company while he was here, and now he's elsewhere. I His mean, legacy will live on in, in the foundation of this company, um, but the company isn't defined just by one person. It's a collective group of all of our hard work. Um, so I'm not really worried. It's cool to say I'm the champion going into this, what feels like a new phase, but I'm not, I'm not worried at all. I think if you look at, look at the, the, the big names that have come into WWE over the years, if anything, it goes to the point of Ring of Honor's ability to adapt and overcome. And, mm -hmm. and you look at, like you said, I mean, look at the names. Every name you just mentioned, including Nigel McGuinness. <laughs> like, like, they're all there. But you go down the generations of Ring of Honor, and... That's where everybody's coming from. You look mm -hmm. at the guys that are main eventing NXT right now, and it's the Adam Coles and Roderick Strongs and mm -hmm. Kyle O'Reilly's and Bobby Fish's. You look at the guys that are just starting in NXT right now, and it's Punishment Martinez, and it's, right. and it's Donovan, right. and it's, you know. Right. And so, you know, you, you wouldn't have... I mean, Tyler Black could main event WrestleMania this year. Exactly. You don't, you exactly. don't have generations Man, of talent coming out of any other promotion. It's unreal. Back in the day when Carrie Silken ran the company, when CM Punk, Brian Danielson, when Samoa Joe left, I, if it were me, I would put, okay, guys, we're done. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Everybody else here, you guys are fantastic, but, like, what am I supposed to do here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man, but... Carrie saw – that was a cool part about when Carrie was here, too. Nothing up against Sinclair. This is a great company. Um, but back in the day, Carrie really saw what each wrestler could do, and he put so much faith um, in each of us. It was, it was such a cool little niche thing to be a part of. So is that motivation – like, when you go into a match like you're going to have tonight with Cody, yeah. are you sitting there going, you know, clearly I want to have – every match I go into, I want to have the best match I've ever had, but – tonight with all the talk about what's Cody doing starting next month you know is this his last match in Ring of Honor is right. he going to show up in WWE is he going to start his own promotion is he going to do whatever is it do you feel like it's your job to go out there and not only have 
the best match that you could possibly have, but put out a performance that lets the audience know, regardless of what Cody does, we're in good hands. I do. I do. And you, the crazy part is, and I don't have the wrist tape and I'm not going to write the letters, but I always like to think back, because to me, there's nothing like the legends that have helped build this company, okay? So I always think back to like, man... So I'm in the main event with Cody. This guy could be leaving soon, which also means that who knows how the crowd's going to be re reacting. Is it going to be a rah-rah moment? Are they going to be sad he's gone? Am I going to be looked down upon because I'm the company guy? Right. And it's almost like, you know, he's against me here. So I, I like to think a lot of times, what would Samoa Joe do in this position? What would AJ Styles and Brian Danielson do here? They'd fuck. They oh, almost hit the f bomb there. <laughs> <laughs> they'd go out there and do what they normally do. They'd yeah. knock it out of the park as business as usual, and that's what kind of keeps me centered. And like, yeah, I'm gonna go out there and do what I always do. You right. know what I mean? Hey, way more Jay Lethal to come, but I want to tell you about a big wrestling show that's coming to New York City Friday, December 28th. Queens, New York. Get ready. ICW returns. For their biggest show of the year. It's Concrete Jungle. Wait till you hear who's going to be on this show. Dan Moff versus Teddy Hart. If you haven't seen Dan Moff wrestle before, you are missing out. And this match is going to be amazing. Dan Moff versus Teddy Hart. Danny DeMonto versus Amazing Red. Brody King from Ring of Honor is going to be there taking on Homicide. You're going to have Matt Stryker there. You're going to have the Sandman there. It's going to be an amazing, amazing show. You got to see what ICW is doing. It's going on at Ultimate Fitness Queens in Woodside, New York. That's in Queens. Doors are open at 7 p.m. Bell times at 8 p.m. Get tickets now at TheWrestlingUniverse.com. ICW Concrete Jungle, Friday. December 28th, Queens, New York. Get ready. Let's get back to Jay Lethal. It's the ideal, it could be, I mean, depending on your perspective, the ideal situation for somebody who's ready for that situation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's mm -hmm. like perfect for proving ground. Right. And um, situations like this, um, they really test a professional wrestler. I feel like being the Ring of Honor world champion, that not only has prepared me for this, but it, that's a test to hold hold that belt. Can you think about being the Ring of Honor World Champion and have to go into the main event? You're at the end of the show after they have already seen the Young Bucks. I mean, they've already seen Adam Cole. They've seen the greatest wrestlers in the world, and then you have to go on and follow that. That's what kind of and situation. You're the champion, <laughs> right? 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 <laughs> right. That's every day. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I I I do admit that it's a very stressful situation but it really makes a wrestler excel when the pressure is put on you find out if a wrestler is going to sink or swim and sometimes that pressure is what you need to help boost you yeah and, uh, dig down deep and brings out something that you you didn't know you had before you know let me go back to black machismo for a second all right all right <laughs> you do the black machismo is crazy it morphs into this rick flair character that nobody knew you could do a rick flair impression and you whip that out mm -hmm. i've seen you I think it was PWS when mm -hmm. Psycho Sid didn't show up. I was at the show. I might have been doing commentary on the show. Come out and do this. So Psycho Sid didn't show up. So you come out with the vest on as Sid. Obviously, you don't know you're going to do this because you don't know he's not showing up until the day of. Right. But you whip out this nuanced, okay, <laughs> this nuanced impression where I'm like, Oh, Sid does do that stuff. And you don't even, like, the, the fist bumps yeah. in the crowd. And, <laughs> Who's the man? <laughs> like, when, so, do you just do everybody? 
I don't. I don't. Or at least I don't know that I can. So here's a th- funny thing about that Sid thing. Um, I didn't know that I was going to do that until... So I let's say if, if you put a timer on as soon as I walk through the curtain, rewind the timer six, seven minutes back. Oh, That's no. when I realized that I was going to do that. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating either. Six, about six, seven minutes before I walked through that curtain is when I decided and we said, oh, let's do this. It'll be funny. Um, and then and I had to quickly... I found a vet. There was a wrestler. He had a vest on. I guess black leather vest in a wrestling locker room Very, is attainable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you can find in any locker room, you know? Um, so I quickly tried to think. And I, I'm big on little tiny details. Yeah. So uh, I think that's what makes me good at doing impressions because I'm real big on little tiny details. Um, one of the coolest parts about that impression to me is every time Sid would come out through the curtain... It looked like someone just poured two gallons of water on him or he had just gotten out of the shower before he would walk. He was dripping with water or whatever liquid was on him. Um, So that was probably my favorite part. I just stood underneath the sink in the bathroom, just got as wet as I possibly can. And here's why. Because sometimes when he'd walk down, he'd snap his head and look at a fan. And when he would do that, I had this image of watching him walk down the aisle, snapping his head, and you'd see the water flying when he would turn his head to give somebody the pound. So I knew that I, that had to happen. <laughs> I'm just big on details. So I, I didn't even know I had a good sit impression. And to my standards, I don't even think it was that good. It was pretty good. Um, do you? So as a kid, are you just watching these tapes over and over again, or are you just a guy from the time you're young that when you watch something, you just click into these details and they don't leave you. No, no, over and over again. I think I clicked into the details right away, but I I watched wrestling religiously over and over and over again. And then there was a time where we didn't have cable, Um, so I was forced to watch tapes and VHSs, so I just... We just go to Blockbuster and and just rent the Uh pay-per-views. Uh-huh, and And, uh, my buddies recorded the pay-per-views because with the VHS, you had to stick a little piece of paper or something <laughs> inside that little square scotch tape so the, put right, it right over uh, the i was a tape trader man i know all the tricks i can't believe i never thought to put scotch you, tape yes over the, i would just wedge a piece of paper towel in there <laughs> no no so no. that you could so clear my, scotch tape you put it on flat it's smooth <laughs> it's like that little tab wow that just took me back that's <laughs> awesome so yeah a lot of tape trading with my buddies they taped the pay-per-view let, let me watch it but yeah i watched wrestling 24-7. And, are you um, and that's I, I think that helped me pick up on so many little details. Yeah. And I didn't even realize I was picking up on them probably. Right. They just were – they're in there now. Right. <laughs> now, are you doing Macho Man and Ric Flair and stuff in locker rooms and people are like – Just does. just Macho Man. Okay. I didn't – he was the only impression that I knew I could do. And whenever it was like a quiet time in a locker room, I would just bust out a savage or a – any of the little savagism that I could do. He was the only impression that I knew I could do. I think I have a good Jimmy Hart, but I need a megaphone to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, and then the Ric Flair impression, I didn't know I could do that until I got drunk, <laughs> which is a funny story. We had a, Which is when you should do a Ric Flair impression. Which is anyway, when, right? Why that's... would you do one when you're not drunk? <laughs> yeah, that's the... uh, I went, We went to the U.K., and uh, on one of the off days, we, everybody was in the bar drinking. I had a few too many. Um, and then when I got back on the bus the next morning, everyone's like walking like zombies. We're tired, um, and everyone's like woo wooing to me. Like do Earl Hebner's like go ahead do it like you were doing last night. And meanwhile, I have no idea what the <laughs> hell he's talking about. 
So, yeah, that's how I found out I could do a Ric Flair impression. I feel like your Ric Flair, too, is not like... Like, a lot of people do a Ric Flair that's like, my, my shoes cost more than your house, Ric Flair. I feel like your Ric Flair is very... like, And it's probably because we're around the same age. It's that late nitros... Fire me! I'm already fired. Yeah. Rick Flair. Like, oh, that's yeah. your oh, yeah. that's your Rick. Oh yeah. So I watched so much of him too. I remember having five best of the Horseman DVDs that I had gotten from an indie show. Of course, because um, during the tape tradings and. You get the five DVDs, and three of them have all the same matches. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I really feel like just watching so much wrestling is what's helped me in wrestling. Yeah. Um, and I, I really think some people underestimate how much just watching wrestling can help you as a professional wrestler. I'm sure. Um, well, as a, as a fan, is having the match with Ric Flair or having that promo woo-off where you're both doing him... <laughs> And like Ric Flair's getting you, you've got Ric Flair to the point where he himself is doing an impression of your impression of right, him. Right. Like, what is the, what is more your your moment in your head when you think back and be like, I think like like twelve year old Jay Lethal would be losing his mind. At the this. moment is definitely wrestling him on pay per view, mm-hmm. thinking about sitting in the living room watching a WWF pay per view with my brothers. Um, and sometimes my sister would come in, but um, watching it on the couch in the living room, watching Ric Flair, and then fast forward that I'm watching Ric Flair, and in that same living room, my family has gathered uh, that same exact living room, and my same brothers and sister that I watched with them on TV, they're now watching me wrestle Ric Flair. Um, and it was just a surreal moment when I thought of it like that. So that's probably it. And probably also because the other moment you talked about, that woo-off, mm-hmm. scariest moment of my life. Why? Well, <laughs> um, so being in Impact Wrestling, I'm, they had never given me a chance to cut a live promo. So I'd never had a chance to have a live microphone in my hand in front of a live crowd, live TV. Most of the stuff we did was taped Of anyway. course. Um, all my promos were taped in the locker room, and I ra- rarely had to do one, more than one take because even if I didn't say the right word, I was talking like Savage, so it, it, eh, that was good enough. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so now this is the first time live crowd, live microphone, and I got to go with this guy, <laughs> the, the greatest <laughs> promo guy in the world. I was terrified the entire time. Any interaction, microphone stuff you see me do with Ric Flair, just know that in the back of my head, I was terrified. But that's when the pressure brings out the best in you. That's true. That is true. I had no choice but to excel, but right. terrified. I remember thinking before I walked through the curtain, my hands started to cramp up because I was so nervous. And Simon Diamond, he's the only one who was like, he came up to me. right. Be- I'm standing right right before I go through the curtain, pacing. Like, oh, man, I, I must have looked scared out of my mind. And he came up to me. He goes, what's the matter? What's What's the problem? What are you doing? I go, oh, man, I just, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what they want me to do. Because we'll pause the story there. Another thing was Flair wouldn't let them write anything for him. <laughs> so, therefore, I didn't know what I was going to say because he didn't know what he was going to say. So, I just had to go out there and wing it <laughs> like he was. So, that's another reason why I was terrified. So, Simon Diamond's coming up to me. He's like, what is your, like, what do you, why, what's wrong? Like, you're about to go out there. This is going to be fine. I'm I'm like I don't know I don't even know what they want me to do I like or say like he won't write they can't write anything for him I like man I, I 
I'm not even that good at promos, Pat. <laughs> um, and he's like, but you don't, you don't get it. He goes, you have been put in this situation because they know you can do it. Okay, you do this awesome impression in the locker room with us. Just go out there and do that. Pretend like you're in the locker room with us. Because that's why you're in this position now. Because of what you've been doing in the locker room with us. So that, when I thought about it like that, I go... That kind of helps a little bit. Yeah. I'm still scared out of my mind, but uh, I did appreciate him coming up to me and trying to calm me down and say that because he was right. I was in that position because of something that I had been doing in the locker room that they appreciated and they liked. What was it like uh, not only bringing back the machismo character for All In in yep. September, but getting to come out with his brother in original – Macho Man gear. I, mean, I was sitting there. I was watching it with Pat Buck. You know Pat Buck, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we're we're watching it, and I'm like, Pat, that's that's original gear. You could tell, like it did. And Pat's like, Oh my God, he's wearing original Macho Man gear. When Lanny showed me that jacket, I almost lost my mind. Yeah. Um, and you know the crazy part about All In, um, I knew I was doing the machismo thing, and I haven't told many people this, but deep down inside. I thought to myself, I don't care if anybody likes what I'm about to do right now. So I didn't really want to anyone to go, he's a Ring of Honor world champion. What the hell is he doing? At that moment, all I could think of was I am the inner child in me who loved the Macho Man is going crazy right now. I don't give a damn about what anybody else thinks. I don't care if I go through that curtain and they boo. I don't care. I'm wearing Savage's jacket right now. <laughs> His brother is coming out with me to Macho Man, that pomp and circumstance music. I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. I'm, I'm not even going to pay attention to the crowd. Um, so, there was, so that's so, what I was thinking. Yeah. But when that music hit, the crowd went insane. Yeah. And that that's probably the greatest moment, one of the greatest moments of my life. Because wow. that, right then I realized two things. Either I'm like either they're going crazy because they appreciate what I've done or been doing with this machismo thing. Or they love Savage as much as I do. Either way, I'm fine with, with it, whatever. Right. But that place went Man, I was not expecting that. The second the second note hit in the Pompum Circumstance music, <laughs> they went wild and it did something inside to me, man. It was man, that was one of the greatest nights of my life. No, I get that cuz that's easy to be cynical about. Like it's easy to say like, "Well, come on, that's a goof character and he is the Ring of Honor champion." But I think it, it, there's something about like even a character like that that is, you know, essentially based in comedy, like when you do it at a level that's that high, and like an audience is gonna sit there and go, number one, we love the character, and number two, it couldn't be done better. Like, right. if, then I think that at that point, you don't have anything to be upset about, mm -hmm. especially when you can read all over your face <laughs> that you're having the time of your life. And here's another thing. I, I, had, the I had the dubious task. Uh, every match on that card could have been a main event on any show around the world. Yes. And I knew that. I knew going in, I'd be trying to, Everybody on the card would be trying to outdo the match before it or the, the match at, right after it. Everybody's trying to have the greatest match in their life. So what could I do different other than try to out-wrestle some of the other guys on the show? What could Something that only I could bring to the table that they couldn't. Right. So that's another reason that I decided maybe the machismo character is the way to go. Because could you imagine trying to have a better match than... All the matches that were there, how do you have a better match than the Young Bucks? How do you have a better match than Kenny Omega? Like, 
It's very tough to do. So I just tried to bring something to the table that I knew that those guys couldn't. And it allowed you to have a moment. Right. 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 Like right. it's a moment and we're mm-hmm. talking about it now. Right. So, uh, you know, obviously we said you got Cody tonight. Uh-huh. But theoretically, April, beginning of April... Oh, it's okay. a big, big show coming. Okay, so in the, April is my birthday, by the oh way. My so it's gosh. an early birthday present. I'm going to get to wrestle in Madison Square Garden. Hopefully, theoretically, hopefully, I'll be the Ring of Honor World Champion by then. Now, I like to make this joke that most of the people from our generation who got into wrestling. Uh, well, you're not a wrestler, but uh, f- for most of the people that I know that are wrestlers who got into the wrestling business during my generation, we thought that the only way to work at Madison Square Garden, there was only two ways. Two. Yeah, two. One, you had to work for WWE or WWF. The other, you had to fill an application to work at Madison Square Garden <laughs> as a janitor or a, a vendor or something. So I am yeah, popcorn. <laughs> yeah. I am going to get to wrestle at Madison Square Garden without doing any of those two things, yeah. which is incredible. Not only is it proof that Ring of Honor is doing something special with this venture with New Japan, it proves that the wrestling business as a whole is doing amazing. It's this boom period that has allowed these walls to come down, things that were never possible before are now possible because, and I accredit most of it to the internet and the streaming capability, a kid who liked WWF and only knew WWF now just has to click a button and he can watch Ring of Honor, PWG, Rev Pro in the UK. Uh, it's really helped the wrestling business and, and because the wrestling business is thriving, it's really helped us. So I'm about to get to Russell in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, have, you, have you thought about what you might want to do there or is this a thing where every so often you just sit there at night before you fall asleep and go, <laughs> oh my god i'm going to madison square garden i'm afraid to think about uh too far into into the future but i i i there are some people in my head that i would like to wrestle um I know that Okada's going to be there because he was on the poster. Him and Marty are on the poster. I want to be on the poster. Yeah. I would love to be on the poster. You got the gold. <laughs> uh, I'd love to wrestle Okada in a singles. Um, also, someone else, I'd love to wrestle Jay Briscoe uh, at Madison huh. Square I think out of all the people I've ever been in the ring with, knowing that I got to wrestle my idol, Ric Flair and Kurt Angle, out of all the people I've been in the ring with, the person who has pushed me the most is Jay Briscoe. Um, I really had to dig down deep every time I step into the ring with him. Um, and I feel like that's what I need and want at a show like a Madison Square Garden. Um, and I feel like I'd have to do that too if I wrestled Okada because he's Okada. Like you gotta, of course. So... I, I whatever my match is, I need the pressure to be on me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's, there's so much potential. Like, it's almost hard not to have a dream match, right? Because right, just right. the fact that it's you and it's that title and it's in Madison Square Garden, it's almost whoever the opponent is, it's a dream match. Right. But now, you really can think of dream matches, right? Is it because because you and Jay Briscoe? With the Ring of Honor title there in Madison Square Garden would be incredible. Incredible, oh god, incredible! incredible. Like it's it's right, it's, right. it's very very difficult to go wrong. So it seems like you're you're looking into 2019 extremely enthusiastically. I am, I am, and like I said, the the biggest takeaway uh, from here during our interview, I'd like the people to realize is Ring of Honor. Although some people may have different opinion, uh, I don't think we're in trouble. 
because some people are leaving. I just it's business as usual. Ring of Honor's always picked up and carried on. If you need proof, just look back and see all the people that they've lost, um, and look at the things that they've been able to do after those people were gone. Um, and we appreciate everything every wrestler has ever done for this company um, while they've been here. And if they're no longer here, we thank you. But uh, moving forward, I, I don't think Ring of Honor is going to be in any trouble. I think the future is bright. Uh, we're going to Madison Square Garden in a yeah. few I think I think everything's going to be okay. When you look out into that locker room and you're sitting on your pedestal that the locker room leader gets to sit upon over everybody else, the Mount Olympus of the locker room, and you're looking yeah, they, down upon. There's a throne back there <laughs> yeah, they right. have. I've only heard, but that's what I believe. I read it, and I believe yeah. that that's true. It's in the bathroom. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But when you look at the locker room, are, is there any, other than yourself, are there any names or people specifically that you see that go, that guy right there, that's a reason why we won't be in trouble. That guy's a reason why we won't be in trouble. The entire locker room. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a cliche answer, of course, and like, oh, you can't give me one name. But no, I, I picked the entire locker room, and all because our main goal, all of us, whenever we go through that curtain... We all want to get over, like I mentioned, mm -hmm. but the, our main goal is to make the Ring of Honor as big as we possibly can make it. Um, so as, if you're going out there with that goal in your head, then you're one of the reasons why Ring of Honor is going to be fine. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like and it's all of us. I feel like everyone's got that thought. I feel like we've book bookended this beautifully. Yeah. And yeah. the furniture's going up. Yeah. So that's, yeah that, that really I think they're trying to give us thing. the sign. Yeah, that's right. I hey can't guys. wait to watch the match tonight, man. <laughs> Thank you I'm very so glad much. we finally got to do this. Thanks for having me. And let's do it again, man. I hope so. A little mega powers ending here. Yeah. <laughs> something's going to happen. <laughs> he said that, too. Something's going to happen. <laughs> awesome. Uh, awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hey, you know, before that Jay Lethal interview, I told you guys I'm coming to Phoenix, Arizona the Friday before the Royal Rumble, January 25th, to do a live Not Sam Wrestling podcast. I know that you want to be there, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I'm going all the way to Phoenix to see Not Sam Wrestling. I want to see the Royal Rumble, too. I want to see TakeOver, too. How do I get tickets to all these events? Well, you're going to want to get them online. You're not going to leave the house. The only problem is it gets complicated to get these tickets online. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. See, SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place from all these different websites all over the Internet so you can easily find the seats you want for a price that you're willing to pay. Every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence and make them your go-to source for everything, from sports to concerts to comedy to theater, anything you want to see. Broadway! SeatGeek has it. I've got the app on my phone. I tell you how easy it is all the time. All you got to do is put it in. You could put it into my location. You don't even have to type anything. And it'll say, hey, here's what's going to be happening around you. You could type in a location, like Phoenix. Royal Rumble's going to come up. You could type in Royal Rumble. It's easy to find everything that you need to find. The seating chart will come up. You pick your seats. The seats are, are labeled by value. So they're either green, yellow, red. You can figure out where you're sitting. You can figure out where the best value seats are. Get whatever you want, and SeatGeek has you covered with fully guaranteed tickets. Best of all, the listeners to this here podcast, Not Sam Wrestling, are getting $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's right, $10 extra in your pocket. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today, S-A-M. That's promo code SAM for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Here is Sam Roberts. Man, I love that conversation with Jay Lethal. So great, so great. Of course, the video is going to be up on YouTube uh, within a week or two. If you want the video immediately, of course, you got to be a Not Sam Shell over at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Look, 
Uh, it's almost I'm almost glad that I waited as long as I did before I ended up having him on the podcast. And he's right, it is my fault. I should have just reached out and invited him at some point, but it's one of those things where I guess while our paths had crossed, it just never came up. Or, or I, I remember there was one time at another Ring of Honor show that I was about to interview him, and then they set up the meet and greet right away, and there was just no time. Like it, it, Timing plays a part in all this stuff. It's weird, you know? I live this life. You get You get the interviews you can get. But when you've got about 40 minutes or so to sit down with Jay Lethal, you got to take advantage of that. And so much wisdom that he's got to put out there. You know, there's, there's, you could, you could hear as he talked about the way he was when he was young, kind of why he's been so successful. You know, you could, you could, you could hear that in the way he talked about it. You can hear why he's always been so well liked. And I'm, I'm really, really interested to see what happens as Jay Lethal's career progresses because it's a unique time. And I'm glad that he sees what's going on with Ring of Honor as an opportunity because I think it is for somebody like Jay Lethal. You know, you could say, oh, this is awful, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think it's an opportunity for somebody like Jay Lethal to step forward and really take the reins of a promotion like this in a way that's never happened before. And if he's successful... The world is going to be his oyster. I want to talk about everything that's going on with Ring of Honor. I want to talk about everything that's going on with WWE and this shakeup. I want to talk about the new guys coming to WWE. And the only place that I can talk about all that stuff is in the state of wrestling. So I guess we should start that now. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, of course it is time for this week's State of Wrestling. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And before we get started, I want to give a special shout out to Not Sam Schill, Mark in San Diego, thank you, Mark. If you want to get a special shout-out here on the show, if you want to watch the exclusive video version of the full segment of The State of Wrestling, get all the interviews that drop on video early, get the podcast early and ad-free, and get bonus episodes like Captive Audience where we watch along uh, various WWE, WCW, ECW, pay-per-views and other shows on the network. All you have to do is become a Not Sam Shill on Patreon, patreon.com slash not sam wrestling patreon.com slash not sam wrestling it starts as low as four dollars and everybody who's a patreon starting at the lowest level gets access to early podcasts and those bonus shows patreon.com slash not sam wrestling let's get into the state of wrestling where of course each and every week for the last 217 weeks We've broken down what's going on in this world of wrestling, and the way we do it is we list the top five in an order that, quite frankly, I see fit. Now, this, I guess this isn't the last show of the year, but it's the second to last show of the year. And based on the fact that both Raw and SmackDown were taped already, you know, I haven't read the spoilers. That's not what we do here on Not Sam Wrestling. We, we go with the shows that we've all seen together not the shows that haven't aired. By the way, the whole spoiler conversation, it's just nuts. I, I, I was, obviously I was at TLC. And that's where we'll begin, by the way. The f- number five story of the week is WWE TLC, which went down on Sunday. I was at TLC, of course. I was uh, Instagramming because I went out onto the floor. I was hosting the kickoff show, as I talked about earlier on in the in the podcast, in the intro. Talked about what a busy weekend it was. Um, but I was on the floor for some of the matches, specifically the TLC match between Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and Asuka. And I was kind of doing Instagram stories from the floor just because I got some pretty cool shots on my phone. And there were actually people that were accusing me of like, oh, Sam, that's awful. That's a spoiler. That's not right. 
Look, it's not a spoiler if it's already happened. It's 2018. If it's already happened on live television, if the main feed to the audience has already gone out, then the whole spoiler argument is completely out the window. If, if, if there's a live show that is televised that you don't want to get results to, you're going to have to stay off social media. Furthermore, I was thinking about these stories I was posting, and of course I posted a photo of Asuka holding the women's championship, but before that there was a photo of Becky Lynch jumping off a ladder, before that there was a photo of the entrances. Where do you think this is going? You clicked on the beginning, you clicked through to get to the middle, you clicked through and got mad when you got to the end. That sounds like a YP, your problem, not an MP, my problem. I don't have a lot of problems. I'm the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. Now, TLC, I thought also a show that didn't have a lot of problems. I was talking uh, with some of the guys at the show, and I, I think it's not talked about enough that over the last, the, definitely the second half of this year, the WWE has really figured out the formatting of a four-hour pay-per-view. And it's not perfect. You know, there are still lulls, but, you know, it used to, when they started doing this, four-hour pay-per-views, first of all, they still started at eight, which meant, you remember that first one in, uh, I want to say, April, maybe May, the one right after WrestleMania? It went until almost midnight. People weren't satisfied with the main event. There were people walking out by the end of the thing. It was a mess. It was a total mess. And there was a time when pay-per-views that went over three hours were like, oh my God, how long is this marathon going to be? But I, that's not the case. And it hasn't been in the last, you know, four or five months at least. I would say SummerSlam, even at four plus hours, felt more comfortable than live shows that are that long usually do. And every show since SummerSlam has felt comfortable at four hours. And maybe that's because they're loading more matches on and making them shorter. There's actually more happening over the course of the four hours. Um, maybe that's because there's more story built in to the matches that are happening. I don't know. But if you watch it, it feels like, it doesn't feel like a three and a half hour show that's stretched. It doesn't feel like there's uh, uh, fluff added in to pad things out. It feels like you need four hours to tell all the stories that you're telling. Um, you know, I thought Ronda did an amazing job again. Every time Ronda gets into the ring in a high-pressure situation, a pay-per-view match, a match that she kind of has to prove something, especially when people start doubting her, she shines. She shines really, really brightly. So I thought Ronda was super impressive. Um, you know, I thought uh, 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 the championship match was great. I mean, Daniel Bryan's character work is just so on point right now. I don't know if you guys saw the WWE Now show that they aired. It's like the pre-kickoff show. So the show that I host on the WWE Network with the amazing David Otunga, the wonderful Booker T, and the incomparable Jonathan Coachman, that would be the kickoff show. The show that comes on before the kickoff show, like the shirt before the shirt, that's WWE Now on YouTube uh, with the uh, magnanimous Kathy Kelly and the... Uh, What's a word I haven't used yet? Um, theoretical, Mike Rome. Uh, they interviewed Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan went on, and it's so funny. I don't know if... Uh, Daniel Bryan 
has the ability, and this is why he was so good on Talking Smack when he's not scripted. He has the ability through his character to answer the questions that people have. He will make that character make sense without having to explain the character out of character. Um, And that's not something that everybody can do really well. He went on WWE Now and he was complaining about the fact, because there were people on the internet that were saying, if Daniel Bryan is so environmentally sound, why is he wearing a leather belt? You know, I know it's not a belt, it's a championship, but the physical thing that is represented by the championship that Daniel Bryan wears around his waist is made of leather. He went on and he said he was going to get a new strap made for the championship. It was not going to be made of leather. He said it was made out of a out of a cow that he'd like to name Daisy. It was incredible. Make some time over the weekend and find the WWE Now interview because Daniel Bryan clearly, you know, not scripted, just going into the character and it's entertaining and hilarious but true to character and he doesn't break and it's just it's terrific so do yourself a favor and check that out um I thought really the two matches worth talking about in detail were the last two matches the intercontinental title match and the smackdown women's championship match I didn't mind the placement on the card some people thought that the I was looking at the at the discord room and some of the Not Sam shills that talk in the Not Sam Patreon, Not Sam Wrestling Patreon Discord room were saying that the, it's the Intercontinental title match and it went on, you know, second to last. That's kind of disrespectful for the WWE Championship match. And while that's true, you have to take into account that the stock of the Intercontinental Championship has changed based on the fact that, number one, it's on Raw, which... You know, say whatever you want to say. Raw is always going to be the premier show. January 1993, Raw changed everything. Raw is the WWE's baby, right? So it's on Raw and the Universal Championship, which would be Raw's equivalent to the WWE Championship, is never defended. Brock still got it, and Brock is not coming back until the Royal Rumble to defend against Braun Strowman, which we can get into at some other point probably. Um... You know, by the way, I thought that the Braun Strowman thing was handled uh, pretty well. I thought that the Braun Strowman thing was handled pretty well in the sense that they could have, as I predicted on the kickoff show, just had Braun Strowman come out and even though he only had one arm, still just kick the crap out of Baron Corbin. But having half the roster come out and lay out Baron Corbin, (coughs) Undertaker, Yokozuna, Coffin Match, Royal Rumble 94 style, uh, actually saved Baron Corbin in the sense that Braun Strowman, uh, uh, Baron Corbin is too much of a force for Braun Strowman to take out with only one arm. But if he's got the rest of the roster, he can do it. Um, and so I think that that if if Braun Strowman could just take him out with one arm, it really wouldn't bode well for the future of Baron Corbin. But we avoided that, and I'm glad about that because you know I think Baron Corbin is actually a pretty terrific heel. And, and does pretty well in the roles he's given. You know, a lot of superstars, he was just kind of thrown in to that general manager position. A lot of superstars would not be able to handle it. And Baron Corbin did, you know. I don't think that uh, the in real life, you know, storyline-wise, of course, but in real life was the reason that Raw wasn't doing well because Baron Corbin wasn't good as general manager and was on TV a lot. I don't think so. I don't think that at all, quite frankly. I think Baron Corbin did a pretty good job. So I like that they kept him strong enough and still had, obviously, they still did what needed to be done.
took him out of the general manager spot and started looking forward to the Royal Rumble, and that's Braun Strowman versus Brock Lesnar. And the fact that we may not see Braun Strowman wrestle from now until the Royal Rumble, theoretically, we haven't seen him wrestle since, uh, he, he got laid out with that elbow injury, may make the Braun Strowman-Brock Lesnar match feel even bigger. But we won't know until we get closer to time. Um but uh, so so I didn't mind the Intercontinental title match going on in the position that it did go on. But I went out on the floor to watch this thing. And arguably, you could say that if you take, certainly if you take Brock Lesnar out of the equation, if you take Braun Strowman out of the equation because of the injury, obviously Roman Reigns isn't on TV uh, right now. Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose are probably the top two stars on Raw. You know, I think you could make a pretty convincing argument that Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose are the two big names on Raw. And I've been advocating for a long time. If you heard me on heated conversations with Booker T this week, he asked me, now that Roman Reigns is gone, who should take the reins, no pun intended, but realized, uh, and be the guy, the universal champion. Not the man, but the guy. And I said Seth Rollins, 100%. Seth Rollins should be the face of WWE going forward. And I still feel that way, regardless of what happened at TLC. At TLC, here's what I think happened. The story between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. So they got booed. The match got booed. It wasn't Dean getting booed or Seth getting booed. The match itself got booed. At one point, there was a wave. And a Becky chant started halfway through. And I think that's because the style of match that we were watching was not, like it certainly wasn't the best Dean Ambrose-Seth Rollins match I've ever seen. You know what I mean? And it didn't feel that different from what I've seen before. You know, you, you can you can think back on on various times that Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins have been in the ring together and and the magic that's been made. You know, I always think about that Iron Man match, I mean, the Lumberjack match that I think went down at a SummerSlam when uh, they ended up jumping over the Lumberjacks and going into the crowd and everything. Like, I thought that was great. Uh, but yeah, so you didn't necessarily see anything in this match that you haven't seen before. And quite frankly... The storytelling going into this match has been confusing. And I don't think that's the fault of Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins necessarily. It was just a confusing story. I don't know that fans really bought in to the idea that while Dean Ambrose thinks that he doesn't need Seth Rollins and that's why he turned on Seth Rollins the night that their brother, Roman Reigns, announced that he was going away to fight, you know, cancer. I don't. I don't think that that justifies turning on Seth Rollins in that moment. I think you need to really reestablish Dean Ambrose as a much more sinister and evil character. I think you need to reestablish Dean Ambrose as a violent character. I think you need to give the audience, us, the fans, you need to make us believe that Dean Ambrose is so dangerous that Seth Rollins is going to have a lot of trouble with him. You need to make us believe that the reason that Dean Ambrose turned on Seth Rollins in that moment is because he is an uncaring villain. And I don't think that that's the story that was told going into TLC. And for me, I think that that's why the match got the reaction that it did. Because people were excited about the match in the sense that it's two big stars facing off. But other than that, the actual story going into this thing did not get people excited. And you 
still could and you could have. But, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take making Dean Ambrose a violent, insane predator that Seth Rollins is, is, is at risk when confronting. Uh, of course, the other match to talk about is Asuka versus uh, Charlotte versus Becky Lynch. And I loved all your tweets. And all you guys that sit here listening to the State of Wrestling every week, listening to Not Sam Wrestling every week, the podcast, you guys know. Even if you heard me on Heated Conversations this week, you guys know. Because I gave Booker T my theory behind it, and he liked it. That I thought that Asuka should win that match from the beginning. I said having Asuka wins that ma- win that match creates an opportunity to to have a really interesting dynamic in the Royal Rumble in the sense that you have about a month to make at least one, if not more, women from Raw the favorite to win the thing, right? Maybe the Bellas come back and you can make the fans believe that there is a possibility that Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella are going to headline WrestleMania. I think you could convince people that that's possible. Likely, I don't know because we've already seen the match, but possible if you have Alexa Bliss return to action at the right time you could believe that she will win the Royal Rumble maybe she's going to face Ronda maybe she's going to go over to Smackdown face Asuka by the way she could win the Royal Rumble especially if that's when she makes her return to action and she could call out Asuka and we could get to Ronda Rousey's match in a different way Maybe you can build up Nia Jax a little more between now and then and make us believe that Nia Jax is going to win. But what you do have is a scenario where you've got absolute potential for Charlotte or Becky Lynch to win the Royal Rumble match, and you wouldn't have that if either of those two women walked out of there with the championship. Furthermore, Asuka needed it. Asuka needed it. And you heard the reaction when Asuka won that title— People were pumped, man. People were excited after a four-hour pay-per-view plus a one-hour kickoff show with two matches on it. So really, it was a five-hour show. People were pumped at the end of that thing to see Asuka walk out with the Women's Championship. And I think that that's Asuka needed it. And good for Asuka. I was happy with it. I was really, really happy with it. I thought the match was incredible. I worry about the women sometimes because I feel like the women are going harder than most of the men do. And I feel like they're trying to prove something. The women are going out there and proving that, that they'll do what needs to be done. But, you know, at, at what risk? I, I just hope they don't end up hurting each other. The way they just wail on each other with those kendo sticks. Terrifying. Terrifying. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought what happened, what should have happened, happened. You know, you watch the show. You watch SmackDown. And... The idea that it's going to be Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania is far from a slam dunk. There is nothing in the storytelling that's going on right now that would lead you to believe that that's definitely going to happen. Definitely stuff in the storytelling that would lead you to believe it could happen, but not definitely. There is still equal possibility that Charlotte will get the match with Ronda. She has a story with her too. You know, it was very strategic that Ronda knocked over both Becky and Charlotte. There is also still a possibility that we have a triple threat. I think that the WWE is really looking at Charlotte as a person deserving of that WrestleMania spotlight. I think the WWE's vision for a long time has been if a woman is going to headline WrestleMania, it's going to be Charlotte. She's the one. And, and, And as I've said many times, she's if you are going to compare people to other people, 
She's as close to a John Cena, I believe, as the women's division has. Becky Lynch is special, and I don't think WWE realized that they would have something as special as Becky Lynch going into this thing. So they could add her to a match that they already had in their heads, which is Charlotte versus Ronda. They could push forward the Nia Jax-Becky Lynch war and have that be a match at WrestleMania and have Becky Lynch out altogether. Um, you know, they could. There's, there's many different things that they could do. So it's important going forward that we really pay attention to the storytelling that's going on between now and Royal Rumble and then into WrestleMania so we can kind of start making some hypotheses, start making some educated guesses as to what's going to happen. But I thought the, the, the women absolutely just crushed it. And I was so happy to see them get the main event, not because it's historic because women got the main event, but because it's historic because women deserved the main event. Women earned the main event. And every person in that building was there to see that match. So that was very, very exciting. Um, I also, over the weekend, watched Final Battle, Ring of Honor show. That would be story number four. And you want to talk about shakeups going on in organizations this week. Uh, I would say Ring of Honor, after Final Battle, is the organization that really got the shakeup. Uh, it would appear that Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks are gone from Ring of Honor. Maybe Hangman Page. And who knows if we'll ever see Kenny Omega over there again. Kenny Omega, he's there for Wrestle Kingdom, but I think the Bucks and Cody are as well on January 4th. Um, same night as Ron Funch's special, by the way. Uh, and nothing's been confirmed from any of those guys as to whether they're going to continue to do business with New Japan. You know, I guess there is the possibility that if they all do continue to do business with New Japan, then they all still could be at that Madison Square Garden show. But if Cody and the Bucks and Hangman are all leaving Ring of Honor, I wouldn't be shocked to see them not at the Madison Square Garden show. You might say, well, you know, you need them. You need the names. But you don't because tickets are already sold out. So you're good. You're kind of all set with that. Uh, I thought Ring of Honor did a, a very good job of establishing themselves. I've been critical of Ring of Honor in the past because it does kind of, whether you can do anything or not about it, we talked to Jay Lethal about it earlier, at times become the elite show, the Bullet Club show, the Cody and the Buck show, whatever you want to call it. That, that The shows revolve around the elite, which is what WCW was doing with the NWO in the NWO's heyday, which was really, really smart for a time and really, really successful for a time, but it left them in a place where they had overvalued the NWO organization so much that it left WCW as an organization with very little value. And what happened when the NWO ran its course is that people had been conditioned to know, we boo WCW in the survey. WCW sucks. NWO rules. So that was a mistake, I believe. That it was not long-term thinking. That was very, very short-term thinking, and that was one of the contributing factors to WCW not doing well in its final years, in my personal opinion. Um, I think that Ring of Honor did a really good job of making the right people come across as strong. You know, seeing Jay Lethal absolutely, undeniably, categorically defeat Cody Rhodes and retain the Ring of Honor championship, no question as to who the champion is. Seeing the Briscoes capture those Ring of Honor tag team championships for, I think, the 10th time. Seeing uh, Cobb put out Hangman, you know, absolutely without, and, and they didn't make it so that it was obvious that any of this stuff was going to happen. They really built stories around this stuff 
that you could believe, you know, Hangman being this powerful guy and the Bucks and Cody and everything. But I just thought that they did a good job of making their organization seem strong. Now, if you look at that pay-per-view, it's pretty clear how different the product they put on is than WWE's. I, I, Ring of Honor is not sports entertainment. Ring of Honor is just pro wrestling. And if you're a pro wrestling purist, you're probably going to prefer that. I think the mainstream is always going to prefer WWE, but I think there is an audience for straight pro wrestling, for, for good wrestling matches where the story comes second. And when I say story, I mean storyline. There's always stories told in the ring. But I mean storyline comes second in Ring of Honor and wrestling comes first. I think in WWE, storyline comes first, and that's kind of the way it's always been. But I thought they did a good job with the pay-per-view. I love what's going on with Marty Skrull. You know, he was one of the names brought up, and he'll be at Ring of Honor for at least, I think, the first half of this year at least. 2019, I mean, going forward. Um, and then I don't know how long, but I think it's really smart of him to stick around and start this Villain Enterprises faction with Brody King and PCO because it's going to make him stand out as a leader. He's finally got the opportunity to stand out when he's paired with the Bullet Club, when he's paired with the Bucks and Cody and Kenny. It's really difficult to shine, you know. At All In, he shined when he got the opportunity. And I, I think that that when he's on his own now, I think he's learned a lot being in the Bullet Club for the last year or so. And I think that I think that he's he's really ready to shine on his own. I think out of everybody there, Hangman Page and uh, 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 Marty Skrull should be eyeing the WWE and the WWE should be eyeing them. I think Marty Skrull and Hangman Page both, as individuals, not as a team, should be in NXT. You know, I'd like to see Cody and the Young Bucks invade the main roster at some point. But I do think that once the Ring of Honor or, or whatever for Hangman, uh, once that's all set, I think it should be NXT time for Marty Skrull and for uh, Adam Page, Hangman. Um, you know, I just think that... Uh, I think that they're both really, really talented and are should be using this portion of time to escape the shadow of the Bullet Club and the Elite and the Bucks and Kenny and Cody, if that makes sense. And I think it does. Let's move on to story number three. So story number three is an interesting one, and uh, it's all about the Velveteen Dream. So the Velveteen Dream was on Twitter this week, of course— uh, We'll get into the uh, Raw and SmackDown shakeup. It's not a superstar shakeup, but, you know, Vince McMahon had tweeted out and he promised to shake up Monday Night Raw. He said right over the weekend, I believe, he said he was going to be on Raw on Twitter. He went, said he was going to be on Raw, acknowledge the low ratings, um, and, and was going to appear. And we'll talk about that. But that's not the number three story. The number three story is Velveteen Dream. But what Velveteen Dream... Um, did relates to all that stuff. So Velveteen Dream, of course, upon hearing about the fact that six NXT stars, five acts, six stars, were called up to the announced to be call, being called up to the main roster. It's not just Lars Sullivan. Five more are joining him. He took to Twitter in tweets that have since been deleted. Delete, delete, and he wrote, "It's not his parentheses Vince's call to make." It's yours, so let your voices be heard. Hashtag call Dream Up at WWE Universe. He tweeted again. Hashtag call Dream Up. Spam at WWE at WWE NXT. Let's see if they're really listening. 
He tweeted again, hashtag call dream up, hashtag velveteen dream, hashtag dream over, hashtag purple rainmaker, hashtag dream. Um, I think the velveteen dream's got to cool out a little bit. You know, the velveteen dream is in a pretty, 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 pretty good spot in NXT. You know, you heard, uh, you know, the internet reported that the tights that the Velveteen Dream was wearing at the NXT TakeOver where he was uh, uh, asking Vince to call him, meaning call me up to the main roster. Uh, I think Triple H had some comments about those tights in the post-NXT uh, press conference that they do, post-TakeOver press conference that they do with the media. Um, look, you know, I think go listen to the interview from a few weeks ago with the Undisputed Era. If anybody should be anxious to get to the main roster, it's the Undisputed Era. You have a guy like Adam Cole who's been wrestling as long as he's been wrestling and just just waiting for this opportunity. Same with Roddy Strong, Kyle O'Reilly. Bobby Fish is not getting any younger. He talked about it. He talked about it on the podcast. So, you know, Velveteen Dream, as young as he is, as popular as he is in NXT, and as much as that act is working... Man, when something is working, and this is just life advice, when something is working, don't upset the natural order of things. Don't ask the WWE universe to do the bidding of the actual universe. When it is the Velveteen Dream's time to be on the main roster, the Velveteen Dream needs to have faith that he will be on the main roster. Quite frankly, if I'm in control of NXT... And I'm making the Velveteen Dream look like a million bucks all the time and give him all these opportunities. I'm kind of irritated that the Velveteen Dream keeps talking about wanting to go to the main roster. I'm going, hey, man, I'm trying to create a nice little world for you down here. And all you're doing is talking about going to the bigger house next door. What's the deal, bro? You know? I understand that, that that's the goal of everybody. But there's a big difference between a goal and trying to force the hand of the people around you, you know, I think the Velveteen Dream is young, Velveteen Dream can sit there, be in NXT, get in front of live audiences as often as he can, not nearly as often as he would on the main roster, but have the creativity, have the uh, 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 opportunity to explore his character, to do different things, to have different types of matches, you know, getting to go on takeovers on a regular basis and try to steal the show. And coming close most times that he gets in there, you know, it's, it's it, and, and getting to go out there, wear whatever he wants, act however he wants, you know. He is really, all he does is improve. He just gets better and better and better. And that's why, you know, I don't think that the Velveteen Dream should be trying to push the WWE universe to push the WWE into doing anything that, that they've decided he's not ready for yet. When stuff is working, why why push it? You'll get there. You know, clearly, clearly, people within the WWE company, NXT included, are aware of how good Velveteen Dream is, right? They're, they see what we see because we see Velveteen Dream as often as we do in the in the positions that he's in. And, you know, maybe he doesn't like the fact that his win-loss record on takeovers is, is you know, somewhere in the 50-50 range, but I think that that's the wrong way to look at it. He gets great matches on takeovers every single time. They all have stories built into it. People care. 
People care about the Velveteen Dream. He's doing an amazing job. I say don't don't mess it up. Don't gra- grass is greener this thing because who knows what happens to Velveteen on the main roster. In the meantime, just enjoy being at NXT and don't worry about when you're going to get called up. You'll get called up when it's time to get called up. Moving on to story number three. I mean, two. That's story number three. Story number two is the call-ups, right? They announced on Raw, when they announced the shakeup, that uh, six superstars were coming to WWE now. We've been looking at the vignettes for Lars Sullivan for quite some time now. I get nervous when vignettes run this long because it makes it reminds me of Brodus Clay coming out. And I don't think that Lars should come out and be a funky, funky dancer. Although, it worked for Brodus for a period of time. Um, but we have Lars Sullivan making his way to the ring. Uh, he's, uh, on the main roster, of course. EC3 is going to be up there. Heavy Machinery, which was a bit of a surprise to me, is going to be up there. Nikki Cross is going up there, and Lacey Evans is going up there. I love the package they showed for Lacey Evans because people who don't watch NXT, that's one character that immediately you understand. I'm going to hit you with a women's right. Like like she said, you know, when she said a, a woman's right, and she's like showing her right hand and a fist, I just think it's great. I just, I think you so immediately understand who and what Lacey Evans is when she comes out. Um... I think that she's a a, a perfect uh, specimen for this. Heavy Machinery is interesting. You know, I think that out of everybody that's being called up, Heavy Machinery has the most risk of, uh uh-oh, this isn't working that well. Uh, So we'll see. You know, maybe they're just used as a big team that, that other people get over on. Maybe they end up being tag team champions of the world. We'll see. I think Lars Sullivan, there's a lot of uh, potential in him. And there's a lot of high hopes for him, it seems like. Nikki Cross, amazing. Actually, Nikki Cross feels like a long long time coming. There's been, like, rumblings of Nikki Cross on the main roster for a long time. There have been at least one instance I can think of, maybe more, when they have the entire roster out on stage before Raw, and Nikki Cross is there, even though she hasn't. So, you know, I I think that they've just been waiting to pull the trigger on Nikki Cross. Uh, And, of course, EC3. To watch a guy go from the NXT reality show to getting cut before he can really do anything on the main roster to becoming a star in TNA. He was an organic TNA star, one of the very few. To then coming back to WWE, now headed to the main roster with the EC3 moniker. Not many stories like that. I think that that's very, very cool. Let's figure out where they're going, though. Let's figure out where they should go. Of course, we talked about Lars Sullivan uh, a few weeks ago when Katie Linendahl was on the podcast, and I stand by that. I think Lars Sullivan should be on Raw. You know, I think at some point a Braun Strowman-Lars Sullivan match has to happen. But I think Lars Sullivan could be what they wanted bad guy Braun Strowman to be. I think having a bad guy monster, there's room for that on Raw right now. Especially if you end up going with Seth Rollins. To have Lars Sullivan becoming a foe that Seth Rollins can't conquer. You know, I think that there's, I think that that Lars could be very, very good on Raw. Lacey Evans. SmackDown. Lacey Evans goes to SmackDown because it's tough for, because Ronda Rousey is on Raw, right? Ronda Rousey consumes a lot of the spotlight 
especially the women's spotlight, but the spotlight in general that exists on Monday Night Raw. And I think that Lacey Evans needs some room to breathe and establish. And SmackDown does that better than Raw. SmackDown does a better job of allowing talent to breathe and establish. I don't know if the Iconics had debuted on Raw. I don't know if the act would have gotten a chance to connect with the fans. But since they debuted on SmackDown, it absolutely has. And to me, whenever they come out, it's a highlight. Uh, I think Lacey Evans could be great on SmackDown. There's a couple of women that she can go through. But I think Lacey Evans versus Asuka, Lacey Evans versus Becky Lynch, Lacey Evans versus Charlotte. There's a ton. Lacey Evans versus Naomi, you know. I think there's a ton of opportunity for Lacey Evans on SmackDown. And SmackDown is where I would want Lacey Evans to go. We go to the other woman that is uh, apparently coming up from NXT. That's Nikki Cross. And you might be thinking, well, duh, send her to SmackDown and uh, put her back with Sanity. I say, no, no, good sir, no. She is unique enough. The work that she did, what really, really, really sold me on Nikki Cross, not that there was ever any doubt for me, you know, or Shayna Baszler match, all kinds of stuff, but what really, really, really solidified my feelings about Nikki Cross uh, was the work that she did in the Aleister Black Who Jumped Me in the Parking Lot storyline. I thought she was just terrific on TV every week. I thought she was really, really good. I believe her crazy, which is a difficult thing to do. You know, when she gets in the face of the women that she competes against, I believe her crazy. And when you're playing a character like that, it is difficult to make people believe you're crazy. And I don't know if I've said this, but I believe Nikki Cross is crazy. I don't believe that she is crazy. I believe her crazy. I believe the crazy that she presents. And there is room for somebody that presents that level um, of unpredictability on the Raw Women's Division. You know, she can definitely, because she's going to end up being a good guy. You know, she can't help it, I don't think. People love Nikki Cross. They love the way she performs. So I don't think she's a bad guy. I think she's a good guy, which means that, you know, Lacey Evans is a bad guy. That means before too long, she needs a match with Ronda Rousey. She loses. There's not much more for her to do. Nikki Cross wouldn't need a match with Ronda Rousey because they're both good guys, and she could just kind of go and, and do her thing there on Raw. Also, we don't know what's going on with Sanity on SmackDown right now. Of course, we saw them reappear on SmackDown this week, but they've had a lot of stops and starts, you know? Eventually, Nikki Cross may be at uh, WrestleMania, maybe WrestleMania next year, 36, who knows? could come back into contact with Sanity and like an acknowledgement could be made. Maybe at some point she can join them, but I think that she's somebody who could really do good uh, establishing herself. Uh, I think the heavy machinery should definitely go to SmackDown. I think something that SmackDown should do to differentiate themselves from Raw is really turn up the volume on the tag team division. I said on the kickoff show this week, the Usos, to me, one of the best tag teams of the last decade. The Usos are just incredible, and they're just getting better and better and better. I just, I love the Usos. They have the Usos, The Bar, The New Day, Anderson and Gallows, Sanity. All five of these teams, and this that's not the whole roster even. All five of those teams are tag title worthy. Add heavy machinery to that. Put the colognes under a little bit more of a spotlight. You know what I mean? Like really ramp up 
the tag team division. Let's see a return of the tag teams. Let's see some tag team specialists on SmackDown. Leave Raw as it is. You know what I mean? There's a tag team division. Certainly not the um, number one thing on the show, but it's there. Maybe eventually I, you know, bring the uh, uh, revival over to SmackDown where the tag teams are the strongest. But we're already seeing SmackDown's women's division stand out across the roster, uh, uh, across the entire main roster as the premier women's division. I think you can do the same thing with tag teams easily. And I think heavy machinery could be a part of that. Finally, EC3. Also SmackDown. So I've got Nikki Cross and uh, Lars Sullivan going to Raw. Lacey Evans, Heavy Machinery, and EC3 all going to SmackDown, right? Lacey Evans, EC3, Heavy Machinery. Yeah. While Nikki Cross and uh, 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 Lars Sullivan go to Raw. Uh, I think EC3 should go to SmackDown because he's going to be a good guy. They're is room for good guys on SmackDown. You know, you could have him compete against Samoa Joe. You could pretty quickly, if it works, point him in the direction of the WWE Championship and Daniel Bryan. If it, we're not re- quite ready for that, point him in the direction of the United States Champion and Shinsuke Nakamura. You know, you have Daniel Bryan is a bad guy. Shinsuke Nakamura is a bad guy. Samoa Joe is a bad guy. There's a lot of great bad guys. On SmackDown right now, you know, Rusev, technically he's a good guy right now, but he could be a bad guy in a moment's notice. Of course, you got AJ Styles, the face that runs the place, but we've seen him in that main event scene. We need a refresher, and I think EC3 could give us that refresher, that new big-time good guy on SmackDown. And I think that Raw's got enough of them, quite frankly. Raw's got plenty of good guys. Raw's got Finn Balor. Raw's got Dolph Ziggler now. Not to mention Braun Strowman, not to mention Seth Rollins, not to mention all these guys. You know, um, I think EC3 would have a lot more room to shine if he were over on SmackDown. So that's what I think. I think it's a a very cool choice of those uh, six coming over to uh, um, the main roster. And that's where I would put them. Story number one this week is the shakeup itself. Now... A lot of people were talking about this in the context of the Attitude Era and the promo that Vince McMahon gave um, good guys and bad guys. Quite frankly, we don't want to insult your intelligence anymore. One of the classic moments in the world of wrestling, but this was not that, right? This, what we saw this week was, I think, more akin to a superstar shakeup, right? It was a refresh, but not an ushering into a brand new era. I like the idea, actually, of general managers going away. You know, there was a, many years that there was no general manager. Um, so I don't mind general managers going away. I think that they absolutely need to find a new role for Paige because she is too good to not be on TV every week. Uh, but what I do think is that you can't just have this Lila upstairs if you can hear her. Lila Garrity is barking at somebody. I don't know who it is, but I'm going to tell you this. If somebody's breaking into the studio right now, I don't have anything to worry about because Lila's going to eat them alive. Um, you know, I think that, uh, uh, 
you need separation still. If you just have the McMahon family in general, Triple H, Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Shane McMahon, if they're just running Raw and SmackDown, you're really running a risk of starting to blend these two brands together. And when you do that, when you upset the integrity of the brand split, that's when things get wonky and start to make no sense. And you end up in a scenario that you were in a few years ago when there was absolutely no reason to watch SmackDown. So I think that, I think that the brand split should remain pretty, you know, line in the ground drawn. And I think that that means you need separate authority figures on each show. Um, you know, I thought in terms of the actual shakeup itself, it felt like the emphasis was being put on new matches and new people getting called up, meaning that the reason that ratings are down and, and that the show wasn't as good is because it's the same guys every week. We need new guys. I don't buy that. I think that the WWE roster is more talented now than it's ever been. There is more talent on the roster than there ever has been. You know, I think it has a lot more to do with presentation and adapting to an audience that watches TV in a different way in 2018 um, and creating content that's just more compelling, creating content that it, it's not about just, okay, we need new guys. It's about creating moments that have people going, you have got to watch Raw because this happened. Um, and I think that that's really, really valuable. Uh, however, going back to the authority figures, I think the way to handle this, based on what I was watching on Raw and SmackDown this week, I actually really enjoyed Vince McMahon's contributions to SmackDown. And it made me think of the uh, the early days of SmackDown, the early days of the draft split you know, version of SmackDown, not the early, early days of SmackDown, but the early days of the SmackDown roster. And Vince McMahon being an authority figure on SmackDown, not on Raw. Um... I think it'd be really cool to have Shane and Stephanie take over Raw together and have Vince take over SmackDown. You know, and Vince could then bring in Paige as his assistant and don't do the commissioner, general manager thing. Vince is there on camera, on SmackDown, almost every week, if not every week. You don't have to come out in front of the live audience every week if you don't want to. But those, like, like what really sold me on it was the vignette with The Miz. Was The Miz knocking on Vince's door and Vince coming out and blah, blah, blah. Because Vince has this real-life authority where you believe that wrestlers will do things, superstars will do things when they get to the ring because they are, they are scared of his power. Whether he shows his face or not, you believe in the intimidation power of Vince McMahon, because you know he's the legit boss. He's he <laughs> had a dream, I had it made, and now I'm Vince McMahon and I own it. The legit boss. Um, no, I think that uh, I I think that uh, because we know he actually does sign these guys' checks, right? And I like the idea. So I I what I would do is on SmackDown, I would put Vince McMahon in charge. I would have Paige be his assistant and that way Paige could go out in front of the live audience and if Vince McMahon isn't there one week, have Paige be there. By the way, babyface Vince McMahon, not Mr. McMahon. Have it be a babyface, good guy, Vince McMahon authority figure because everybody loves him so much anyway. Have Paige be a good guy too. Like, I don't want to play with the whole like idea of 
oh, Vince isn't around and now Paige is, her power is going to her head. Like, no. Vince is finally at this point in his career, in storyline-wise, Vince is working to make the WWE Universe happy. And Paige is working for Vince. This group wants to make the WWE Universe happy. Meanwhile, over on Raw, Shane wants to make the universe happy, but Stephanie and Hunter are still Stephanie and Hunter. And I would love to get to a place where you've got Stephanie and Shane controlling Raw. The given is, that's to say, it's Stephanie and Shane and Hunter controlling Raw. I would like to see a power struggle exist between Hunter and Shane. And I would like that to play out on camera. You know, that, 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 lean in to those internet rumors that you read every now and then about a power struggle happening. Lean in to the idea that the audience knows it's the son and it's the son-in-law. And the son went away for a while. And while the son was away, the son-in-law rose to power. But then the son comes back. That's my blood. Well, that's the, the son-in-law is not going to be happy because he put the work in. And if the son-in-law is made to be happy, well, then the son's not going to be happy because now the dad, the dad or whoever is taking the son-in-law's side. Have Stephanie be the middle ground. You're going to pick your brother? You're going to pick your husband? You know, I, I love the idea of a tension building between Triple H and Shane. And you could even have Stephanie not necessarily be a full-on bad guy be in the middle somewhere where she's now actually controlling Raw because Shane and Hunter can't get their their you-know-what together. I think you have a match where it's Shane versus Hunter and only one guy can stay on Raw. The other guy has to go home. Shane wins that match. Shane McMahon beats Triple H. Triple H is no longer on Raw. What's he got left? NXT. You now have the opportunity to start building up that NXT brand because you've got Vince running SmackDown, Shane with Stephanie. They're going to start cooperating because Stephanie knows she's got to, otherwise she's out of job. But Shane and Stephanie are running Raw. Vince is running SmackDown. Triple H is running NXT. And there is a three-way competitiveness. Not always a butt-heads thing, but maybe we start inching NXT up. Maybe NXT gets a little bit of representation at the Survivor Series, right? Maybe instead of five on Raw versus five on SmackDown, we have three on Raw versus three on SmackDown versus three on NXT. What are we thinking, guys, huh? Huh? You see how I got there? Vince... SmackDown, Shane, Stephanie, Hunter, Raw. Shane and Hunter, err. Shane versus Hunter. Shane wins. Bye-bye, Hunter. I've still got NXT. Let's change the world now. And fans, you pick your favorites. I think that that's the way that I would go if I was going to say goodbye to the general manager and I was going to lean into the fact that people like seeing the McMahons on TV. WWE Universe likes seeing the McMahons on TV. That's what I'm thinking. That's the state of wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. I appreciate you being there. Don't forget to support this show by becoming a Not Sam shill over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Have an amazing Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. If you don't, 
Maybe go to the movies or something. I don't know. Have a great holiday week. I will see you next week with the last Not Sam Wrestling of 2018. I can't believe how fast this year has gone. Thank you, everybody. Love you all. See you then. A goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.